Hey guys, thanks for tuning in again to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. I am a mediocre journalist. Name, Scott Wright. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens, and I am not a lawyer. And we are going to talk about something that happened 62 years ago in this week's episode. Kelly is going to take the lead because she is the one person in this trio who did her research over the past week. We had last week off, and didn't we try... Wasn't there an attempt to put something on the, our Spotify page last week and there were some technical difficulties, Katie? Uh, Apple Podcasts gave me a headache and then when I finally figured it out, it was Thursday and gotcha. I gave up. So we, we had intended to have just a little... Anchor was fine. We could have been out on Anchor, so that's my... I guess I could have done half the... Okay. Well, so we just we wanted to keep it going and have, have the flow stay the same and have a show at least... It was only going to be, what, five or six minutes and just kind yes. of explain why we took last Monday off because it was Memorial Day. And, and we, we had a, was a very nice thank you to all of our veterans and their families. And so we're going to say that this week. Thank you so much. Yes. You did not go uh, unnoticed and unhonored by us on Memorial Day. So thank you. Very true. And you guys know how I like to do my little history thing. This is the part where Katie rolls her eyes every week. Um, and this today's, today's episode, the, the events that we're going to talk about today happened in the summer of 1959. Here are some of the other things that were going on in 1959. The very first Daytona 500 took place in February of 1959, and it was so long ago that Richard Petty didn't win it. His father won the first. And if you know your NASCAR racing, which no one else at this table obviously does because you're looking at me like I'm making things up, but, but Lee Petty won the first Daytona 500. Richard Petty finished 57th out of 59 cars in that event. It was his first Daytona 500. So he went on to win seven himself. He did not win the first one that he ran in. Uh, also in 1959, Rocky and Bullwinkle first appeared on ABC television. Um, Fidel Castro took over as the communist dictator of the island of Cuba, the island nation of Cuba. And right here in Cherokee County, a couple of interesting things. Uh, one of them in Leesburg. At one point in June of 1959, I went to the library last week and I looked up old copies of the Cherokee County Herald from that time, and a, a truckload of watermelons ran through a stop sign, crashed into Johnson Grocery in Leesburg, and the paper described the scene as, there was watermelons everywhere. I bet. That was before I became the editor of the paper. Was, would not have been there if I had been there, I would like to think. Just to be clear, it's there were. There were. There were watermelons everywhere. everywhere. Inside the store, in the street, it was a mess. Uh, and, and one other thing, and Katie and I are both uh, alumni of Cedar Bluff High School. We are. That was the year that Leonard D. Bruce was appointed the principal at Cedar Bluff High School. So Coach Bruce was there for my parents. He was their principal. He was my principal until I was in the 10th grade. The football field is named after him. Everybody in Cedar Bluff knows whoever knew Coach Bruce uh, felt like he was one of the best people they'd ever known in their lives, and he was. And so that was the year that the Board of Education here in Cherokee County uh, appointed him principal, and, and he kept that job for another 25 or 30 years almost. And uh, so that was interesting. And the one last thing, the building at the campus at Cedar Bluff, which Katie knows as the library, used to be the old gymnasium, the old gym, we called it. And that summer, they had a fundraising event for the athletic department it was a full card of professional wrestling 
the night was capped off with one of the professional wrestlers wrestling a 500-pound bear. And I checked the paper the next week to see who won. It was not mentioned. So maybe... I'm assuming the bear. I'm guessing the bear <laughs> won. Or maybe it would have been a story at that point. But it wasn't in the next week's paper. And that's what was going on in the world and in the county in 1959. And now I'm going to sit you, back and listen to Kelly tell You what had happened. bear wrestling in your gymnasium in high school. That is correct. Fundraiser for the athletic department. But you were not in high school at this time. <laughs> I was not anything in 1959. Nothing. That's what... Wow. Katie said that before you got here. School. We finally have found a story that happened before any of us were here. And we did. So, yes, we did. And you have done your research, and I can't wait to hear this story. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to say, as I, as I go into this, I'm taking my information from ja- uh, Jacksonville State University archives that you sent me, Scott, that you so It seemed like it was a found. pretty good source of information. They are notes from Don Brown, the reporter, who was the young rookie reporter at the time that this happened, who went back and wrote a book. Yeah, and I tried to order a copy of that book so that I could do a little bit more research than I've done. And it seems I got to be a, hard to, to find. I got an Can't email on it. Thursday that said that no, no explanation, just your order's been canceled. But the book is called uh, Mr. X and Mr. Y. Is that what Correct. it's called? That's yeah. it. And it's by Don Brown. So if you can get your hands on it, uh, check it out and read it. Yeah, good luck. Um, yep. So I, I went through the notes and the archives, 222 pages of those to be exact. I also have a criminalgenealogy.blogspot.com as one of my sources, al.com, which is Alabama. Sure. Okay. And then wikitree.com. I don't know what that is. I I guess it's a Wikipedia thing. I had to work very hard for this timeline. I get a lot of uh, conflicting information. I'll let you know when I get to some information if if, I read it here this way, I read it in another place. You know, oh, wow, this was hard. Gotcha. I worked really hard for you guys this week. Oh, that's so. sweet. Thanks. Because so can I get I some five-star ratings uh, <laughs> this week from you guys out there? I don't ask for much. Uh, give me a give me a five-star rating. I for need this an one. applause button on this. I know. Yeah, we I'm, should. She's because she's she's dying it. for some applause right I now. Need I can it. tell. I Maybe I can it. put yeah. it in Desperately. post. <laughs> Imagine me giving you a golf clap right now. Thank you. You're I welcome. so appreciate that. Uh, all right, so here we go. <clears throat> the case of Mr. X and Mr. Y. On the afternoon of June 28, 1959, a torso was discovered. Over the next few days, people across three counties in Alabama found body parts that were, quote, strewn here and yarn. I wasn't the editor of that story either. Newspapers say the residents of North Alabama were living in fear of a monster on the loose. People were finding, you know, there's, you know, hey, we found a torso. Hey, so did we. <laughs> hey, we found an arm. Here's a leg. I know. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny I about know, it, but, but it's like people were freaking out. Right. In three counties. So people didn't know, you know, how many bodies are we dealing with? What the heck is going on? They're not even buried. They're just. They're just strewn hither and yon. Strewn hither and yon. <laughs> so here we go. <clears throat> we'll get back to that. Uh, Viola Virginia Hyatt was born February the third, nineteen twenty nine, in Rabbit Town, Alabama. Do you know where Rabbit Town, Alabama, is, Scott? I feel like I should know. I feel like that's a town that my father has told me about. 
in mm-hmm. my life. I keep thinking of Turkey Town. I was about to say, is it near Turkey Town? That's been between Cherokee County and Gadsden. It's Turkey Town. Somebody out there who has my phone Rabbit number, text me. Some of the local guys, KT or Jake or... KT doesn't listen. Somebody, that's true. <laughs> uh, somebody who listens, text me and tell me where Rabbit Town is. I'm sure it's Rabbit not... Town, it's, it's probably a, just a crossroads Kelly somewhere. may be about to tell you. No, I have no idea. Oh. I don't know where Rabbit Town is. Somebody tell us where that is. I would is. love to know. I lived in Alabama all my life. I don't know where Rabbit Town is. However, okay, so her parents were Martin Hyatt and Virgie Robertson. They moved. She, she was born in Rabbit Town, but, but she obviously didn't stay there too long because they moved to a farm, the Hyatt farm that her father inherited uh, in White Plains, Alabama. I know where that is. Yeah. And I gave that the full Southern white plains. <laughs> you made fun of me for dropping an H after a W last week. Well, it's spelled that white. That is, it's spelled W. Right. Okay, so White Plains, Alabama, and we know where that is. Yes. Okay, that's about would you say forty minutes from here? Yeah. Where we yeah. Are? Other side yeah. of Piedmont, yeah, Alabama, right? between Piedmont so they and had Jacksonville. A, they had a farm there. This is a community that is located about fifteen miles northeast of Anniston, Alabama. If you will remember Anniston, Alabama, from our uh, third episode, The Black Widow. Yes. And that wasn't the title, but that's who it was about. Um, it's called I, Lo- I Love You Like a Black Widow, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're all song Katie's, titles. <laughs> Katie's proud of herself. She's I know, already I a love big it. smile. I lo- yes. No, I love it. <laughs> I do um, too. So this is very close to the Aniston location, but a different time frame. So we're in the, we're in the 50s. We're 50, 59. Well, I mean, we kind of overlap a little bit, but we're out in White mm. Plains, out on a farm, 40 acres and a mule. Corn and cotton, a big, a big old garden. Oh, Ellie, big old garden, pigs and chickens. That's from the newspaper articles, right? This, uh, some of these are quotes, some yeah. of them are not. Okay. The Hyatts were described as country folks, but not poor in some accounts. They are described as, quote, dirt poor in other accounts and somewhere in between in other All right. accounts. <laughs> so. Depending on which account mm-hmm. you read. So they're out in the country, 40 acres. They have everything I just told you. Country folks might be dirt poor, but they might just be country. Who knows? Okay. Depending on what you read. Either way, all accounts state that Martin Hyatt adored his daughter. He was a very loving father. And she, Viola, adored. Her father as well. The feelings mutual. Okay. Her mother, Virgie, was an unhappy woman. She resented her husband, their farm life, and she resented her daughter. So according to Wikitree, it's one of my sources here, she didn't mind dishing out the verbal abuse to both Martin and Viola. What a pleasant woman to be around on a Sounds 40 like acre a, farm out in the middle of nowhere in White Plains, with Alabama. Pigs and chickens. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Uh now Virgie, that was the mother, she died when Viola was five. And a year later, her father remarried Jesse Wheeler. And she was raised by her father, Martin, and her stepmother, Jesse. Viola stated that she hated Jesse on sight. <laughs> hated her. She spent the next several years making Jesse's life a living hell. And Martin always sided with his daughter. The doting father, that right. you know, yeah, always. And it's reported that Jesse became scared of Viola at some point. So the stepmother is afraid of the daughter, stepdaughter. 
Martin taught her to shoot a rifle when she was seven years old, and she proved to be quite good with a rifle. She would shoot robins and squirrels and whatever else, you know, crossed her path on the farm. Sort of a typical childhood in, in Northeast in Alabama. You, country, you walk country live, Alabama, yeah. I had a shotgun when I was a kid. We were allowed to just walk through the woods and shoot at anything that moved. I, I wouldn't do it today, but... No, we don't recommend that today. But yeah, yeah this was, you know, 1959 on 40 acres, you know. She was shooting robin squirrels, whatever. She went to school through the ninth grade, and then she quit along with six other students. And the reason she quit is she, quote, got mad at a teacher. Her father said that she, quote, had a right smart temper. All right. That's how he would describe her. The neighbors would agree that she did have a temper, but they liked her because she was very, very helpful, and she was always willing to help them out, and she was also a very thoughtful person. So she wasn't just this walking, angry, hateful temper girl. Right. She could be thoughtful and you know, neighbors liked her. The stepmom did not. The father thought she could do no wrong. So that's our Viola. She never had a regular job, but she helped her dad on the farm. And because of this hard farming work, she was a very strong, very stout. And she was described often in many of these articles that I've been able to find as, quote, sturdy. I've seen photographs of her. She looks like somebody who could hold her own Yes, on the farm. Mm-hmm. Very strong, very tough girl. Uh, she's also described as dumpy and plain. And there were some accounts who even, you know, called her unfortunate looking. I don't, I mean, I saw her photo and I would say that she's somewhere on the spectrum. Like if you had a spectrum and, and the top of your spectrum was beauty pageant winner. Right. And the bottom of your spectrum was, you know, scream. Ah, you know, <laughs> holy crap, what is that? I mean, she's somewhere in the middle. You know, I wouldn't say That's that. A fair I, assessment. I, I, she's not going to win a beauty pageant, but I did not scream when I saw her picture. So yeah. I would say she's, I mean, plain is probably the most I mean, appropriate. I wouldn't call her un, unfortunate. No, I, I would That's say sturdy of, and plain. Sturdy and plain. So we're going to stick with that. Yeah. Sturdy and plain. I had a girl call me Dumpy Hall, Dumpy Hall one time on social media when I was in college. So, you know, maybe maybe it was a compliment. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe, so. it's a, maybe it's a term of endearment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, so, okay. So she's sturdy and plain. That's it. Viola, sturdy and plain. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. All right. So in her two brothers, Lee Harper and Emmett Harper... Okay, Lee is 55 years old and Emmett is 48 when they became tenants on the Hyatt Farm. They had both been in World War II, and one of them, in one of these accounts, was actually on, and I'm going to butcher the name of this. I'm going to butcher it so badly. Uh, One of them was on the Batane, Baton Death March. They were, he was... He took part in the Baton Death March. Baton Death March. Wow. One of them, it doesn't specify which one, and it's only one of the accounts okay. claims that he was in the Baton Death March. That was after the Japanese overran the Philippines, and then they took the. That's when MacArthur left and left his army behind. Mm-hmm. And there were about 30 or 40,000 American troops who became POWs of the Japanese. And they spent, the Japanese took them over to the mainland and marched them to a prison camp that was dozens of miles away and a, a a large portion of those soldiers never made it from 
where they started to where that prisoners a prisoner of war camp was that was the baton death march correct and they were uh the u.s military even uh the commissions they had they um, filed charges on uh the uh, commander and some of his subordinates the the after the war was over yeah 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 that's that's those are war crimes the geneva conventions you can't treat prisoners of war like that. Correct. They were brought to trial for the so so. According to one one of these accounts, one of the brothers, I don't know if it was Lee or Emmett, was on that. So uh, these men are they've seen wartime. They're not, um, they're not pansies. Not at all. <laughs> no. The greatest and I don't generation. Even know, I don't even know sure. why we use the word pansy. Pansy is like the strongest flower. You can plant them in anything and they will survive. So I don't even know why pansy became a so term. A bit but, of a misnomer. Yeah, to I call someone. You. I mean, but they were tough. These, these tough were man. some tough folks. Okay, they're not weaklings. So, um, so anyways, <clears throat> back to the, to the brothers. They worked with a construction company building... Uh, what was going to be the new road to Jacksonville Okay, uh, during this time. Jacksonville, Alabama is near Anniston, near White Plains, all that area. So they lived in a tiny little box trailer near the main house on the property. I've seen a picture of the inside and the and the exterior of that trailer. It's a tiny little tiny, thing. Very tiny. They both lived in. One bed and then one cot I mean, that was crammed yes. into the hallway. Yes. If you yes. can call it a hallway. Yeah, really can. It's a box. Um, and so <clears throat> they paid Viola extra money to cook for them. Now, Viola and Lee, the older of the two brothers, had some kind of relationship. Uh, they went on a few dates, but the extent of this relationship is unknown because there are some accounts that say that um, Lee was forcing her to sleep with him, that he was paying her to do that. Um, that they were degrading her and whatever. And then there were some accounts that say they had a relationship, they went on a few dates, and then something happened. They got into an argument or something. Right. So, again, the accounts are just all over the place, but they had some sort of relationship. And he's the only one who had a car on the property. And um, he taught her how to drive his car. Okay. So, remember that. Well, <laughs> Coming you, up is, yeah, is he taught gonna, her. That's going to be important to, in yes, 20 minutes. Yes. She did not know how to drive, and he taught her how to drive. And, and uh, he ha- had given her a set of keys. Okay. And so, like people, you would do if you were in a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. Hey, if you ever need to borrow my car, here's keys. Help yourself. Yeah. So, you know, that... Still don't know the exact right. extent of the relationship, and if both were, you know, sounds like a normal willing participants. Well, so far, I don't know. Yeah, normal yeah. relationship. <clears throat> so, a little after midnight on June the twenty eighth, nineteen fifty nine, Viola used her dad's twelve gauge shotgun to shoot both of these men in the face at the trailer they lived in on the property. So she shoots them both. Right in the face with a 12 gauge. That escalated quickly. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, did you just go anchorman the legend of Ron Jeremy on me? Ron Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, 
think I it's mean, Ron, uh, Burgundy. It's Ron, Ron Burgundy. Burgundy. Ron Jeremy's Ron a very a different, different guy. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> hey, cut that. We're, leave that on the editing room floor. No. <laughs> Okay. I do that every time. So, every time I talk about that movie, I say we Ron know Jeremy what Scott's been watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so so let me just say this again. Or here are the high points. <laughs> it's a little after midnight, June 28, 1959. She takes her dad's twelve gauge shotgun. She shoots both men in the face. Right. After she kills them, she takes a couple of axes and chops off their arms and legs. She throws them in the back of Lee's car. She uses a wheelbarrow to carry the torsos and, and everything to the car. Okay. Puts, loads it up in the trunk and then gets into the car and drives through three counties, Calhoun, Etowah, and Claiborne County, disposing of body parts. She's not burying them or trying to conceal them. She's just tossing. So it turns out that Lee's first mistake, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, was to teach her how to drive Showed the car. Showed her how to drive the car. I mean, I think she, I, I don't know, she may still have shot him, but she just may have had a different way of disposing of the bodies. But she, it almost sounds like a panic. I mean, she's yeah. not even trying to conceal. She's just driving around. And, and she's driving in an area of Alabama that, in the middle of the night that used to be called the, the Whiskey Trail. Okay. So they're back roads, and they're, they're she's going through all of these counties, and you know, again, she's tossing an arm here, or a leg there, or a or a torso, and um, and then she's moving on to the next one. And she, she just drives around and she disposes of all of them. And the next morning, she calls the construction office where they work to say that the brothers are sick. And they will not be in for a few days. All right. Okay. So it took three weeks to identify the bodies. And during that time... How long did it take? I assume that the, the body parts started to be found pretty soon after... Pretty quickly. Okay. Pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, in fact, the first... The torso uh, was found on... I believe the next day on June, I think I said June 28th. It's actually June 29th on the afternoon of June 29th. Okay. There's a torso discovered. And then it was the, so next, the next day. The next day to, and to, the next day they find another one. I mean, because I don't really know the order and, okay. and how I know that a torso was discovered first, but I don't know um, how quickly other body parts were starting to be found, but I, I Let's think be honest. By most accounts very quickly. Yeah, because they're not concealed. I mean, yeah. you're going to walk out onto your property, and if there's a leg on your property, you're going to notice that quickly. Or hey, that a torso. wasn't there yesterday. Yeah, or a June. torso. People are outside. Right. Oh, it's June in Alabama. Or a torso, mm -hmm. and they can't even identify. And and we should probably put a disclaimer on this one. This one's pretty rough. But they can't identify the bodies because she shot them in the face. Right. I mean, their faces are blown off. Oh, right. yeah, because she shot them with a shotgun. A shotgun. A 12-gauge shotgun Number in the face. Number six birdshot, I think I read somewhere. Yeah, so and, and It made so, a mess. Yes. And so they're not able to identify. I mean, I can see that this is a torso. 
but that's it. And I know that I didn't leave it there yesterday. Yeah. So this is, doesn't belong to me. And it's if, on my property, but I don't know. I, it doesn't belong to and me. And if, if you're a millennial listening to this and you don't know that there was a time before uh, DNA evidence was the easiest way to identify a victim of a crime, that did not exist in 1959. No, there was no DNA evidence. So three weeks go by, and during this time, they are known as Mr. X and Mr. Y. Until they figure out who they are. Yes. Okay. So the police tried to piece the bodies back together, but they never could because there were some parts that were never found. Um, so <clears throat> on the first torso that was found, there was a piece of cloth around its neck. Uh, his neck, I'd say it, but yeah. that's what the article said, around its neck, but it's, it's he. And it's, it had on it L-E-E and then an H-A and then a blank and then a... P-E-R. So it's it's trying to say Lee Harper. Okay. But there's there's a boy. So he had a, he had a tag in his clothes. He probably it was a scarf had he wore those on his laundered. Neck. Okay. All right. Yeah. So <clears throat> they find both of the torsos. They end up burying both torsos in a shallow grave in Etowah County with no headstones. They just labeled them unknown. The Etowah County Sheriff at the time was Dewey Culverd. He then had both of them exhumed. Now, I don't know how many days passed. I don't, I, again, this is a really hard timeline, but, but they're both exhumed and he gets the scarf. And, um, which he, you would think someone would have noticed before they, well, I think buried they noticed it, right? and they just buried it. And I think they decided, wait a minute, we needed that. So they're going to, they're okay. going to get the bodies back and get the scarf. And then, um, they're going to, Figure out, and because um, the brothers had had previously done time, okay, there one in in the three counties where the parts are hither and yon, hither and yon, they had done time somewhere, okay, and somebody is saying, I remember a Lee, you know, they're just kind of talking and they're saying they're kind of starting to suspect, is it possible that it could be this? Lee Harper that had done time. Okay. Um, and so maybe so, there what, there were fingerprints on files. I have no going? idea. Okay. It's okay. just like okay. recollection. Okay. okay. <laughs> from all of these investigators, and I gotta I gotta commend. Uh, you got three counties. You got three different jurisdictions here, and they are working together. I mean, they're okay. they're scared. The re, their residents are terrified. They don't know exactly what they're dealing with. They are terrified. Um. As I would be, anybody would be, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the mob was big in the 50s, mm. you know, so I would, I, I think I read somewhere that there was some concern. Hey, maybe there's, it was some sort there's, of mob here. Yeah, all the mob's kinds operating of, in our area now. Yeah, all kinds of rumors are, are, are running rampant. People are just terrified to, to go out. They're, they don't want to, you know, as, as, I mean, obviously so. I'm not going to judge them for that. So they're, <clears throat> they're somehow... Through all of this and using this scarf, they develop sketches of what they think each man looked like. Okay. And they ran that in the Birmingham News, and they're passing those out through all of these counties. Uh, Birmingham's also in St. Clair County, so, you know, you've also, this is four counties involved now. So you've got, you know, multiple counties working together. A, uh, a couple of Calhoun County patrolmen were on duty one night, and they 
were not far from White Plains. And they're driving around, and there's a man walking on the road, and he flagged him down, and he had a copy of the sketches of the two men. From the Birmingham News. Yep, and he said, he told the officer, well, I don't know if it was from the Birmingham News, but he had, they were passing them out everywhere. Oh, they okay. were just... I see. I thought you meant you know they were passing out copies of the paper. You just mean they, they printed a ton of these things and... But they did run it in the Birmingham the News, community. but they also distributed them. Okay. So he somehow has a copy of that sketch and he flags the, the patrolman down and he says, um, he shows them and he he's told the officers, he said... I think it could be the two brothers that don't live too far from here. They've been working on Mr. Hyatt's farm. He's literally walking in that direction with the sketches to show Mr. Hyatt ah. to say, do you recognize these people? And um, are they the two men that have been living on your farm? Okay. So the patrolmen are very interested in this too. So they give him a ride and they go to the Hyatt farm. They show... Mr. Hyatt, the sketches, and he said that they were on vacation in Covington County in Andalusia, and they were not back yet, but they had been living there in the trailer on the property, but they've gone on vacation. So, um, then, in the meantime, the construction crew boss, you know, where they worked in construction... They worked that, on the Jackson Road. Viola called and said, hey, they're not coming in for a few Correct. days. Correct. He sees the drawings, and he's like, well, they these drawings favor two missing crewmen mm. that I have, and it just so happens that Viola Hyatt called and said that they were sick. So now they're very interested. So you've got one guy who is saying, oh, this... these guys look familiar. Mr. Hyatt's sitting there on vacation. Yeah. Then you got the construction guy who's like, these look like some missing crewmen of mine, and Mr. High's daughter just happened to call and say they were going to be sick. So now that's piqued their interest mm. a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so the next day, 30 investigators go out to the farm. That sounds like a swarm. A swarm. Of investigators. I mean, you're talking like three and four counties worth yeah. of people show up to this farm. The police search the property for two days. They found blood and hair in the trunk of Lee's car. The damaged trailer door from the shotgun blast and the bloodstains in and in front of the trailer. An axe was found under recently disturbed dirt. Um, they took this evidence and then her phone call and they said, you know what? All of you are under arrest. Viola, you're under arrest. Your father's under arrest. Your stepmother's under arrest. We're taking you all in so, for questioning. My first thought is, how did you know they're supposed to be on vacation and <laughs> the too. car is here? Me too. Why is the car in the driveway stories, if they're in Andalusia? Right. These stories are not matching up. And, mm-hmm. and It was a um, panic. You said it earlier. She, mm-hmm. she did this. She tried to cover up the crime in a panic. If she'd thought this through, obviously, Katie, the first thing she would have done would be to drive the car off in the lake. Yeah. She didn't think of that. So they bring them all in, and she was questioned for six hours before she finally broke down. And when she finally confessed, she was adamant that she was the only one responsible and that her father had nothing to do with the crime. I don't think she would have ever confessed 
had they not arrested her father too. I think if they had just arrested her. Because that close relationship that we've already established yep. she's had with her father the whole time. Yes. You and leave my dad out of this. I'll take the rap. That's She said, I did this. He had nothing to do with it. I'll take you and show you everything. You got to let him go. So. All right. On the night she confessed, she took the investigators on the route that she went. She showed them where she threw out limbs and dumped the torsos. And they found everything but an arm and a leg. And the reason they didn't find those two parts is because she threw them over the bridge into the Tallapoosa River. And that's in Cleveland County. It's over the bridge into the river. And they've never been recovered to this day. And I tried so desperately to figure out, did the arm and the leg belong to the same man? Mm. Was it the right side, the left side? Was it... I mean, I'm just I, imagining I just, that she I don't has, even think she knew at that time uh, uh, where uh, she's throw, what she's throwing and... Yeah. Who, what body part, you know. It's just a bench seat in a 1955 Chevrolet, whatever it was. She's got him in the trunk, and she's pulling up somewhere, and she's popping the trunk, and she's just slinging body parts. Back in the car, zoom. And she's very strong, and she can do this because she helps her dad with the pig farm, and she's she's no um, stranger to having to slaughter a pig. Taking the axe. Handy with an axe is what you're saying. Yes, chopping the pigs up. you know she she's done this work before um and i think i think at this point she's just tossing she's just in a frenzy yeah so <clears throat> anyways um many people uh believe that her father actually committed a crime and she just helped dispose of the bodies but um once she confessed this and then showed them where the body parts were that's the last that she talked about it she never spoke about any of this again. And so this is why this story is so hard to piece together because she's, she confessed. She took them to where she tossed the bodies. She gave the sheriff uh, four possible motives, and then she shut up forever. And never said another word about Never said another word about it. Okay. And uh, a lot of people think that she may be, she just may have helped dispose of the bodies. I tend to think that she was responsible. And the reason is her father adored her so much, he would not have allowed her to go to right. jail for something that he did. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that she did it and he was trying to lie for her mm-hmm. by saying they were on vacation. But, um, yeah, he did all he could do there. I think so. Yeah, and I also think I he's not um, a young man anymore. And so he's, you know, she's the young, strong buck. He's not. And so it, it just makes more sense that she was the one. Who took the rap. Well, that did the crime. And then did the crime. And yeah. then took the rap for it. Yes. Right. So <clears throat> um, some of the investigators that went out there describe the area, meaning the farm, the whole area gives the feeling of primitiveness and backwardsness. Old shacks, dirt, things scattered everywhere, generally a mess. I could not specifically figure out which investigator said this, but one of them did. Um, and if I knew which investigator said it and where they were from, 
it might help me get a sense of are they poor or are they country? Yeah. Because if this is a, a big city investigator, and by big city, I mean, you know, Birmingham and right. so, you know, Montgomery, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe if this is an investigator from Aniston or, um, you know the the local area that's describing it this way, then I may be more inclined to say, well, they were they were dirt poor. They were dirt poor. Yeah. So I don't know specifically which investigator this was. That okay. Said I this. see what so you mean though about how that would that would color. Yes. Your interpretation of that remark. Yes. Based on where that person was from. Yes, and I tried very hard to figure out who said this. Um. Anyways, but that's okay, and hopefully we'll eventually be able to get that book and. Um, Maybe I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to keep every every story that we've done so far, except for one. I've gotten the physical book that I've used for a lot of my research, and I've and I've started a. I have a stack of those at home. One I had to buy on my Kindle because I I couldn't get the the hard copy version in my hands in time to do any good. But I do want to keep a collection, and maybe you know, ten years from now, I will uh, give you guys those for a Christmas present. Awesome. I can't wait. Um, So she's talking with Sheriff Roy Sneed Jr., who is uh, the Calhoun County Sheriff at the time. And she gave him four possible motives for why. Why do this? Um, I can honestly see how all of these could be true. Okay. All right. So number one, the two brothers were abusing her sexually. Now, I don't want to paint that and put that on someone and just say that they were abusing someone sexually when there's no proof. Um, but they were no, they weren't necessarily saints. They're not, um, you know, we talked about they were in the war and they definitely, you know, served their country and, you know, wartime war heroes, but they'd also done time mm-hmm. before. And, um, well, they did something bad enough for an otherwise reasonable 35, 40-year-old woman, however old Viola Hyatt was when this crime occurred, to go and grab a shotgun and blow their faces off yeah, and chop them up and throw them out of the back of her car. Yeah, but she, she also had a temper. Alabama. I was about to say, yeah, I mean, you know. I know, but a temper is one thing, but committing double murder. <laughs> I don't know. I don't either. Uh, number two, the two brothers drank too much. That was another possible motive. All right. Okay. Um, number three, the two brothers were ugly to her daddy. Now, in the South, when they're ugly to her daddy, that doesn't mean her dad thought they were not attractive. That means they were mean, they were rude, they were hateful. You know, Took advantage of him in some way. Yes, they were ugly. It could mean any of those things. When you say they were ugly, ugly to her daddy, um, that's that's a problem. And then number four, she had an argument with Lee over his car. So those are the four possible motives. I could easily see how all of that's true. You could see one giant argument. But, I mean, I guess what you're saying is over the course of a, of a multi-hour interrogation with the sheriff and this woman, she's, she's, she's rattling off things that have happened in her past and her interactions with these two people yes. that, made her, that might have made her mad enough. She never pinned one thing to the wall and said, this is it. She's just running down a litany of things that they've done that she considers to be slights, and the sheriff has to go, well, maybe it was one of those four things. Yes. Okay. So she did say they, they got into it. <laughs> My phone is ringing, and it's our benefactor, Shane Givens. He knows we are recording. Hey, Shane, let me call you back. We're recording the show right now. <laughs> oh, he was in oh. the middle of uh, speaking. Sorry, I thought I turned that oh, off. We can man. cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so she admitted that they did get into an argument over the car. Um, but she was never clear of which of these four motives was the actual reason that she killed them or if yeah. it was just combining all of them. But she said all of these things about the brothers. And um, I don't know. I mean, this was 1959. I don't think the, the practice of doing a rape kit, all of those things, that's, that's not even thought oh, yeah. of um at this time um and so we'll never really know if we can't prove that there were there was sexual abuse um or really any of this we can't prove if they drank too much we can't prove if they were ugly to her dad and we can't prove that they had an argument over the car because she killed them and then she's done talking you know i said she shut up right and she was done so that's what she's telling the sheriff. So I'm going to turn it over to Katie to give us a little bit of, um, I mean, I, yeah. trial. It's going to be a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, so you mentioned that she was done talking. She's appointed two attorneys. One's name is R.B. Norid, and one has the last name of Phillips. I couldn't find his first name. She's appointed two separate attorneys for the two separate murders she committed. And they state that she wouldn't talk to them. She spoke to everyone else ahead of this trial but them. That they, had, they were both flabbergasted by it. They'd never had a client that wouldn't speak to them. Mm-hmm. You she, know, you think about, you, you remember Forrest Gump, and that, that's all I have to say about that. I that's, mean, that, that's kind of what exactly. she took. Right. Yeah, they said she wouldn't discuss any of the facts of the case. Uh, they both labeled her as frustrating, and they you know, they stated that if this was unprecedented, they'd never had anyone do this to them. So she's indicted on first-degree murder charges, and they ask for a postponement of the arraignment, and that is denied. So instead, at that arraignment, they intend to plead not guilty by reason of insanity because they couldn't get that continuance. From my research, it looks like they wanted that continuance to prove that, to, to have time to have her, you know, Evaluated. evaluated for okay. yeah for you know the insanity plea but that doesn't go and she's already confessed to the crime so trial commences in march of 1960 it said that crowds just jammed into the courthouse my mind goes straight to fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe if you've ever seen that movie or read that book mm-hmm. i just see like the courtroom full of people and that's kind of how it's described that you know there was so much going on that it was hard to even pay attention I think that the judge had to get the attention of the council and all away from the crowd and onto him and there was a lot of back and forth and it was a big to do in town everyone wanted to go and see what was going on but she is very quickly sentenced um, she's found guilty of course she's confessed to the crime and she's quickly sentenced to two life sentences you know one for each murder to serve in, you guessed it, Tutwiler Prison. Is, <laughs> we're back at Tutwiler. Back in. Well, it's, it's the only prison for females in the state, right? Didn't you say that last week? Yes. It's, okay. Yeah. Well, and, and, or, and or even in anyway, week, have all of our have all of our cases been females? Um, uh, except for Mark Barton. Oh, Mark yeah. Barton and uh, possibly the the snake. Handler guy. Oh, yes, Although Glenn you guys, oh yeah, 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 Glenn Somerville. Yeah, Glenn, Summerford. Glenn, Summerford. I'll, yeah. Oh well, yeah. Everybody's in I'm Tutwiler. trying to think. That's it. Yep. Maybe we're a big hit down at Tutwiler. We are. <laughs> we are certainly talking about a lot of its. Uh, we should be occupants. afraid. 
But the the trial was very quick. And so she's hanging out in Tutwiler, serving two life sentences. And in comes, 10 years later, she has a parole hearing. And Did you say 10 years? 10 years. Okay. 10 years later. Yes, 10 so years. she goes right. into jail. She goes into prison in 60, and this is 10 years later, 1970. 1970. Okay. Right. She has a parole hearing. And her parole board of three men votes three to zero to offer her parole. Wow. So she does 10 years for a double, for a grisly double murder. She gets 10 years. State a double she, murder, double dismemberment. Wow. Two life sentences. That's two wows for you people oh, playing that drinking game. That's true. Two wow. I forgot about the wow drinking game. So she is a free woman in April of 1970. Didn't her father pass away while she was in prison? Her father has passed away. She goes to live with her aunt. Okay. In Jacksonville, Alabama. But before that, can I can I interject? Yes. Okay. So I have two accounts again. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, a couple right. accounts here. One says that both her stepmom and her father passed away while she was in prison and she was allowed to leave and go to both funerals. Mm-hmm. But another account says her father passed away while she was in prison. She was allowed to go to that funeral. And then on the day she got paroled, her stepmother had a heart attack. I think that's a little sensationalism. So she probably just passed away <laughs> right. while she was. But you remember I said she was very afraid of her. <clears throat> Maybe she did have a heart and attack. And so there's one account that on the day she was paroled, the stepmother had a heart attack and died because of that. That makes a better story. Yeah, it, it sells more newspapers story. that way. It does. It does. Uh, but either way, and then she actually goes back to the farm to live with a, with an uncle or a great uncle that, that took over the mm. farm. And um, she immediately, I'm going to snap my fingers, immediately yeah. hates his wife. Ah. Mm. We're kind of seeing a pattern. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. Yeah. And um, her job, you know, when you, when she got paroled, she had to have a job. Mm-hmm. And is that still law today? Do you have to have a job? I don't know. I, I, yeah, you have to check in with your parole officer, and I think employment is a part of that. Okay. So her employment was going to be uh, this lady that she does not like caring for her mother. Ah. You know, a caretaker for this elderly lady. Um, but because she doesn't like the great uncle's wife, mm-hmm. she then moves to Jacksonville okay, yes. with the lady you're I talking missed about. A timeline, so go yeah. ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up now. Oh no, no. I just knew she it says she lives with her aunt and has a very quiet life from there on out until she passes away at the age of seventy two in the year two thousand. Yes, yeah, so she lived from nineteen seventy to two thousand in the Jacksonville area. <laughs> Someone who committed a double murder, double dismemberment, but, I mean, as far as I know, never committed any more crimes, never spoke of this one. I mean, she just, li- like you said, lived out a quiet life. It's, it's very anticlimactic as far as the storytelling it, yeah. is concerned. I mean, it's, it's a big uh, shock, I think, that she was paroled. By three men. Well, by one account, her stepmother was. It was another very casualty. Shocked yeah, <laughs> of her parole. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so that's um, the story of Viola Virginia Hyatt, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a moment and figure out she is buried. Where is she buried? Do you guys know? 
Um, I'm going to take a moment. Scott, just talk. I don't know. And I'm not sure why you're doing that. I don't know that I want to know why you're going to try and find out where she's buried because now we're going to have people driving around the state of Alabama looking for headstones of the deceased uh, murderers that we're talking about on True Crime on Easy Street. Well, if you're my grandmother, that's what we used to do for fun on Sundays was drive around to cemeteries and look at headstones. No kidding. Yes. According to this, she is buried uh, in the Rabbit Town Baptist Church. We're back to Rabbit Town again. This whole cemetery. story starts and ends in Rabbit Town, wherever She's the hell that is. Buried in Rabbit Town Baptist Church Cemetery in Rabbit Town, Calhoun County, Alabama. All right. All well, right. you just well, ensure that there's going to be a flock of cars driving down Highway Nine or Highway Eleven, whichever one gets you there. We can cut this later too, but. I- in my research, I found that she was turned into a, a little chant like they do in horror movies that went a little like, Viola Hyatt took an axe and gave her lover 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave his brother 41. So kind of like a little gracious one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Oh my but gosh. They did it with Viola So Hyatt. she became like a, a local, local urban legend. Yes. Kind of like Judith Ann Neely from, the, from yes. our first show, the way that we were all frightened by having her hung over our heads uh, by our parents. Mm-hmm. Be careful out there. Uh, women in Alabama are dangerous. Boy, and I'm sitting in a room alone <laughs> with two of them. Somebody get me out of here. Um, so yeah, that's. I did not know that, Katie. That is <laughs> quite creepy. Yeah, I'm, yeah leave that, that in. The, that's great. The hair on your arms stand up. Are we leaving? And is so the that- show over? <laughs> I never so know with you guys. Our producer um, just starts pressing buttons, and I don't know what happens. She means that. that's time to go. That's that's, a, that's the story of Mr. X and Mr. Y, Viola, Virginia Hyatt. Uh, give us a five-star rating for Please. that one. Um, that was hard. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back next week. You, you look worked. I'm tired. You too. You're, I Are think you guys I see tired? sweat rolling down your brow. <laughs> Good night, everybody. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I worked so hard for you guys. And uh, come see us on Easy Street, Wednesday, June the 9th. 9th. Tonight, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Wednesday, June 9th. Come come see us live. Like, rate, subscribe. Leave us a review. Follow us on all our social media channels. We're going to be doing... I promise we'll do another TikTok video very soon. The the first one was such a big hit. We've got to do another one. It was. It was. It's so viral right now. (laughs) It's viral. It's poisoned, I think. (laughs) Thanks, guys.